0: All right. Good morning, Mercy Hill Church. It's good to be with you this morning. My name's Brad. I'm the lead pastor here, one of the elders. If, if we haven't met before, we're so glad that you are here. And uh, I am glad to be here this morning in this space, in a space that's a little warmer than last Sunday's gathering. We had our annual camp out last weekend, and um, There were a few brave souls who uh, hung out Friday night for the 26-degree weather, and then a few more who came out Saturday night for the 28-degree weather, and we had a great time, and they were already looking forward to next year's camp out, so uh, put that on your calendars. Today, we have a unique opportunity. I'm doing a standalone sermon before we begin our Advent series next week, And today we're talking about the fact that leadership matters. Leadership matters. You only have to have one bad boss or one experience with poor leadership to understand how much leadership matters. I think we'd all agree on that. But I don't know if there is a business or an organization or a structure where leadership matters more than it does in the church. You could even make the case to say that leadership matters more in the church than it does in the family because the church should model to the family what biblical leadership looks like. Some of you are even here today because of leadership, you are at a church where you experience poor leadership. And it began to affect your life, your family, even your soul so much that poor leadership mattered. And you went and found another church family or set of friends. Leadership matters that much. But when we think about how much it matters, you know, it's one thing if you have a a bad boss. You can go and get another job. Like, it's a big deal but it's not that big of a deal. We're all going to have a lot of different jobs over our lifetime. But when there's poor leadership within the church, we likely all know individuals who have experienced poor leadership and they've walked away from the church for the rest of their lives. You know any family members like that? You may see them over the holidays next week. Leadership Matters, and that's why leadership is so important, but not just any type of leadership, godly leadership, biblical leadership, leaders who lead with servant hearts who are humble, who lead like Jesus. Today's a historic day in the life of Mercy Hill Church because we're going to appoint deacons, and there are two biblical offices within what the scriptures point us to when it comes to church leadership. Just two biblical offices. It's really quite a simple structure when you think about the fact that these two biblical offices, they serve literally millions of churches across a multitude of cultures and countries and even continents. Just two offices. And so comparing these two offices will help us to understand biblical leadership in the church. The first office is the office of elders. Elders carry the responsibility for the primary uh, spiritual leadership of a congregation. They're also called overseers or pastors. They teach and preach the word of God and shepherd the souls of those under their care. And then the second office is the office of deacons. They take care of the physical and logistical needs of the church so that the elders can concentrate on their primary calling. And we see this distinction that's laid out in these two offices in Acts chapter 6. And so I'd like us to spend a little bit of our time there today Uh, quickly examining this passage of Scripture before we appoint deacons uh, by laying hands on them and praying over them. Now, before you think, well, I'm not a deacon, and I've read Acts 6 before, and I know what it has to say, so it's really not all that relevant to me. Before you jump to that conclusion, don't leave us for the next 25 minutes. Because in this text, we're going to see... The priority and importance not of individuals, but of Jesus. This text isn't saying that some people are more important than others. It's not saying that. It's not even saying that elders or deacons are the CEOs of the church. It's also not saying that their work is more valuable or even more significant. Instead, In Acts chapter 6, this text points each of us to the priority and the importance of putting Jesus at the center of our lives. We must never allow all the hurry in our life, all the crisis. Because, you know, there's always going to be urgent matters in our lives that are highly significant. I mean, there's always going to be children and grandchildren who are in crisis. There's always going to be the poor who are among us. Those who are in need. There's always going to be people who are helpless and people who are traumatized. But listen to me carefully. We must never allow them to overshadow the centrality of the Word of God in our lives. It's through God's Word that we see Jesus. It's through God's Word that we see Jesus. And as we behold Him, we become more like Him. And as we become more like Him, we display His character to the world. We display His grace and His love. Leadership matters. That's why the Apostle Paul is essentially going to say... If we could use a southern translation, Paul would say it in this way, it ain't right for anything to be more central than Jesus in our lives. Look with me to Acts chapter, two, uh, chapter 6, and we're going to see uh, Paul's instruction to all of us. First, I want to look at the problem that arose. Look with me at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It ain't right. Actually, they didn't, but it's a good southern translation. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. One of Satan's greatest strategies against the church, if he can't distract us through persecution or moral corruption, and he had tried both of these in the church in Jerusalem, if he can't distract us with persecution or or moral corruption, then he'll use a more subtle ploy. If he can't cause the church to cower in fear, if he can't tempt the church to steal the glory of God for ourselves... Then, he simply gets us busy doing lots of really good things. And that's what the church in Jerusalem was facing. They were growing in number. And with growth comes change, and you guessed it, complaint. Anybody ever been in a bad church business meeting before? Yeah, some of you are like, I can tell multiple stories. Which one would you like me to share? The time we voted on the color of the carpet, uh, the time we fought over the pipe organ, which church business meeting are we going to talk about? However, in this situation, that's not what was going on. We've all been in bad church conflict. This particular situation was legitimate. Look at what was taking place. There were Hellenists, so Greek-speaking Widows who had settled from Palestine, Hellenists, they had, they had been a part of that Greco-Roman culture. They spoke a completely different language. And they've settled into Jerusalem along with Hebrews, Aramaic speakers who were natives of Palestine. So you've got two different cultures and two different languages represented. And the Greek-speaking widows had been left out in the daily distribution of food. This was a big deal. These were widows. They were most likely unable to marry, which meant that they couldn't provide for themselves. And they were missing out in the daily distribution of food, which was not only just a big deal from, from a social justice issue, it was also what God had declared all throughout the Scriptures, I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, God had promised to execute justice for the widow. You look at Jesus' own brother who wrote the book of James, and he says that pure religion, the simplest form of religion is this, to care for widows and orphans who are in distress. This is a legitimate complaint. This is an important problem that's arisen for the apostles in the Jerusalem church. It's not something that could be ignored. It's not something that could be turned away from. However, do you see the conundrum? Do you see the tension here? Because if the apostles tended to this need, it would push Jesus out from being the center of the church. They wouldn't have the available time to give, to study, to the preaching of the word, the ministry of the word, and to prayer. Mercy ministry would become The the central focus of their leadership and and eventually of the church instead of Jesus. Their time would be taken up with administrative tasks and servant oriented tasks. And so the apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, made a very wise decision that we could all learn a lot from today. Look at the solution in verses three through six. Look at the solution. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on on them Don't miss this the ministry was equal but their calling was different The American church needs to hear this today because we live in a society where we take church staff members and we try to make them into superheroes People attend church not because of Jesus but because of great communicators And pastors will stand before God one day and they will have to give an account before the Lord of their leadership. We need to hear that the ministry that God has called you to and the ministry that God was calling these deacons to, the ministry was equal. Their calling was different. The apostles didn't diminish serving tables. They simply knew their calling. But listen to me, a full-time vocational pastor and a full-time vocational plumber are the same thing. They're both ministers. According to the scriptures, they're both ministers with different responsibilities and different duties, but they're both priests. That's what the New Testament teaches when it says that we are a priesthood. You say, what does that mean? Well, think back about the Old Testament model in which only priests could go in before the temple in order to worship, in which you brought your sacrifice, a lamb, to the priest who sacrificed it for you, that the priest was the mediator. And we get the fact that Jesus is now our mediator between us and God, and that the curtain was torn down in the temple and that the Holy Spirit has come and indwells each of us. But we haven't moved past the fact that ministers are somehow extra special. Ministers are extra special. The Bible says that we're going to give an account for the way in which we led the souls of men and women who are put in our care. So our, the speciality that goes with the responsibility of a pastor is not a higher calling, but it's that we're going to be responsible for before God for souls of men and women and how we led. So something that should be taken on. In fact, the scriptures say that not many people should seek to be teachers because they're going to be held more accountable. And so it's something that we have mixed up in our minds as Americans as we've taken pastors and leadership and we've elevated them, when the Bible says, don't just elevate pastors, elevate all Christians, that we're all ministers before God. So what does a deacon do? What's the difference? If we're all ministers, why do we have deacons and why do we have elders? Well, deacons in this passage, and let me say this, Sometimes we teach on elders and deacons and different parts of the way in which churches are governed or led and we lay it down like it's a formula. And the Bible never gives us a formula. The Bible gives us a narrative from which we draw principles. I mean, we're not even... We can't even be exactly certain that what I'm reading in Acts 6 links up directly with where we're going to go in a minute in First Timothy chapter 3 where he gives qualifications for deacons. Because that word deacon, it just means servant. It can be translated in a lot of different ways. I believe the two are linked because I think that we see a narrative throughout the Scriptures And I think Paul is giving principles for us today. But as we think about this, what do we see the deacons fulfilling and accomplishing, at least in this particular passage? It seems as if they were um, responsible for physical care. So there were some, some women who weren't eating as a result of poor administration. So they're responsible purely for physical care. They were also responsible for unity. Think about how this had the potential to completely split the Jerusalem church and to, and to dismantle all that Jesus had done up until this point. And so deacons help, and they're responsible for physical care, they promote unity, and they support the elders' work. Which, by the way, elders are deacons too. They're given to the ministry of the word they're given to the service of the word they're just a different type of deacon in that sense now this passage brings up several interesting points i want to move through them quickly but stick with me because you need to know a few details before we uh, recognize some deacons the first point of clarification is what deacons are not and if you've grown up in a baptist church you likely knew deacons to be the men who serve communion um, who met in order to make decisions, who ultimately maybe hired and fired the pastor. And that is not the biblical role of a deacon. That is the biblical role of, of an elder. And in Baptist churches, for some reason, at least the ones that I grew up in, um, there was kind of a vacuum around this idea of an elder, or maybe they recognized the one full time or bivocational. A teaching pastor as the one elder but the idea of a plurality of elders that we see is the common narrative throughout the scriptures like that was one of paul's primary responsibilities as a church planner wherever in whichever cities he went he appointed elders and it wasn't one it was always multiple because jesus is the senior pastor and the head of the church and so we see this pattern for a plurality of leadership amongst elders and somehow in baptist churches we over the last century or so, we set that aside. And I even grew up in a Baptist church that said if you had elders, you were Presbyterian, which is not true. If you have elders, you're biblical. And so um, within that, we need to be careful that we understand the, the difference between deacons and elders. Deacons aren't the guys who meet in a secret room and hire and fire the pastor. That is not the biblical requirements of, of who a deacon is. And this passage also brings up the question, are deacons limited to men or can women also serve as deacons? Now, when we answer that question, it's really important that we look to the scriptures and that we don't say, well, culturally, here's what we would like it to say. The scriptures are relevant and we can depend on them because they're relevant back in the day and they're relevant today because they're inspired. So look with me and let's answer this question. Can women be deacons? Um, in order to answer that question, I'd like to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and look with me very quickly at 1 Timothy chapter 3 at what Paul lays out as qualifications for a deacon. He's writing uh, to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and he sets forth these qualifications. Now, let me say this really quick. Before we, before we look at these qualifications, what, uh, two notes about them, two caveats. They're not that high. There's not a single qualification for a deacon that a mom would forego for her son. There's not a single qualification here that a mom would be okay with saying, my son doesn't need to meet this, or my husband doesn't need to meet this. They're pretty low. There's also, when you look at these qualifications, they're nothing extra special that would recognize someone outside of a normal Christian who's following Jesus. Like, these are just normal characteristics of anyone who's a follower of Christ. And with that in mind, consider your life as we read these. 1 Timothy 3, 8-13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine... Not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified. Not slanders but sober minded. Faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing. For themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we're trying to answer the question: Can women be deacons? In order to answer that question, look back at verse eleven with me. Look back at verse eleven. The Greek word there is the word gunas, and ESV translates that "wives." However, it's not that clear. There's a couple of translations. It's either "wives." Or women. Now, that goes two really different ways. If you, if you look back at, at verse 11, and I've turned away from it. Let, let me go back for just a moment. 1 Timothy 3, verse 11. Paul is either saying, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, speaking of the deacons, wives. Or he is saying, Women likewise must be dignified. So there's three interpretations here. It's either the wives of deacons or women deacons or it could be women who assist deacons. So it's inconclusive. Now, what other passages of Scripture can we go to? Well, we can go to Romans 16:1, where we see Phoebe. So flip over to Romans 16 with me. And uh, Romans 16:1, right at the close of that book, Paul recognizes a significant leader in the church. And he speaks of Phoebe. I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. Now, ESV translates that servant. It could also be translated and is often translated deacon. And so, once again, a bit inconclusive. Historically, we've seen women hold the office of what we'll call deaconess, In churches over the centuries. And as an elder team we believe that men and women can and should hold the office of deacon or deaconess. As long as that office doesn't include church wide teaching or church wide authority. Because we see a pattern in scripture that God has called men to rule their households well. To rule the small family And if they can rule the small family well, then they rule the larger family well. God has given men authority, which is really responsibility to serve like Jesus. And we're going to get into that more in Ephesians after Christmas when we look at Ephesians, the rest of Ephesians chapter 5. A couple of caveats here as we think about our deacons and our deaconesses here at Mercy Hill Church. And there are other great churches that would say women shouldn't be deacons, and we can agree to disagree. It's an open-handed issue. A couple of caveats here regarding the men and women that we've chosen. In Acts, it says they should be of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. They need to be thought of well by both people inside the church and people outside the church. They need to be led by the Spirit. They need to possess wisdom to accomplish the tasks that they've been given I believe they need to have some form of expertise and gifting in order to lead in the area that they've been asked to lead in. You say, where do you get that from? You can't chapter and verse it, but if everybody is called to be a faithful follower of Jesus, then there's got to be some reason for choosing these individuals. So there are four deacons and a deaconess that we have chosen that I want to present to you this morning. The first is Caitlin Stigler, who has led our kids ministry for years. And she has faithfully led our kids ministry. She has a master's in education. She works for Memphis teacher residency. And so she is equipped for education. Um, It's her, her calling and her background. She does a great job in Mercy Hill Kids ministry. Robert Turnage will lead our setup and breakdown. I've known Robert for the last um, now, over 11 years, um, traveled with him on mission trips to multiple countries and seen him develop from a young man and have seen the way that the Lord has grown him up. He's an electrical engineer, so we feel like he can figure out, set up, and break down. Taylor Lewis will lead our hospitality. Taylor works in the property management and real estate industry. Taylor comes to us from um, another church plant that was forced to close its doors, but Taylor there um, led all of their Sunday morning teams, and he has a unique um, gifting in meeting people and a desire to see new people connect with this church's family. So he'll lead the greeters, the coffee, and the snack teams. Um, And then finally, David Friesen is our treasurer. Um, He leads the counting team and the finances. We feel like, He would be able to do a good job with this. He has a little bit of experience with money working for the FDIC. So those are the four individuals that this morning that we will lay hands on and pray. Let me say this, though. We're only appointing deacons at this time in the life of our small church for our Sunday morning teams. Um, there are a lot of faithful men and women who are here this morning who are not here this morning who serve as deacons they serve as servants give you a couple examples Um, jamie's worked jamie stewart has worked with our kids in the elementary area in serving our kids on caitlin's team for years and continues to serve weekly in that way getting curriculum ready doing things behind the scene prepping teachers filling in the gaps when people don't see but we're not This morning, we're not recognizing her as a deacon. She's a part of that team. Another great servant. Uh, You have coffee every morning. You just think it magically appears, but Samantha Turnage shows up early, and she's been fixing coffee for years now, and we're so thankful for her leadership. She'll serve on the hospitality team. So we all could be recognized at some point in time as deacons, but we've chosen at this point, to recognize the structures of our volunteer teams that we've that have been functioning for years on Sunday mornings, we see a need in the future for some of our mercy ministries to have deacons who lead them. We're not quite yet to the point in our structure where we know what those programs um, and responsibilities even need to look like, and so many of our our elders. Are still in charge of, for instance, Mercy House. Um, Jared Stigler has no desire to lead the Mercy House board for the rest of his life. Not that he doesn't love the Mercy House board, but that we already pull him in to uh, meetings regularly from like late-night meetings, and then that's another late-night meeting. So we see someone in the future who would be the executive director of Mercy House Ministries that would lead that. We, I could see someone in the future who would be over foster care and adoption and safe families and help to organize um, that structure of our church because we have so many families who have adopted or are in the adoption process. Um, and so there are other areas where we will add structure in the future. You say, How will that work? What's the process? Well, in the future, most likely we will bring new deacon positions to our covenant partners and ask our covenant partners to approve that new deacon position and then to affirm those new deacons who are needed in those areas. How do we know when it's time to appoint a new deacon? Well, there's not a science, but when we see someone who is leading multiple people in a team, there's a clue that we might need a deacon in that area. Um, look with me as we wrap this up and prepare to recognize four deacons this morning. Look at the results in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And this is where I don't want to let any of us off the hook as believers. Listen to the results of what took place. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that an interesting phrase? That as a result of the wise decisions that the apostles made through the Holy Spirit's empowerment and leading... The Word of God continued to increase. That seems to be the emphasis that the Spirit places here, that the Word of God increases. You know, so often we get hung up in church growth. We get hung up in how many people we've baptized. We get hung up in statistics. The emphasis of this passage of Scripture seems to be that for the church to grow, the Word of God needs to increase. How did that happen? A wise group of apostles said it ain't right. It ain't right that any of us would allow ministry to overshadow the central figure of the church, the leader of the church, Jesus. And so as you think about that, a question that I want to present to you this morning is, Just simply, are you giving attention to the Word of God in your life on a daily basis? Another way of saying that is, are you making room for Jesus in your life daily? You know, we live in a day and time where everything is urgent. Everything. However, the Word of God is important. And it's the only thing in our lives other than relationships and works done for the kingdom of God that will last for all of eternity. And so I just want to ask you to consider this morning, are there some things that you need to clear in your life in order to make Jesus central, in order to make room for Jesus on a daily basis? I broke my phone at the camp out last weekend. I hadn't put a scratch on my phone in three years, and I dropped it and it shattered. And I got a new phone, and my new phone gives me an update of how much time um, is spent on social media. And this little evaluation popped up on my phone, and I saw how much time I had spent on social media. And it also showed me how much time I'd spent on my other apps. And the ESV Bible is an app that it reported on. And when I looked objectively at those two evaluations, it didn't take much of the Holy Spirit's prompting to say, something needs to change about the way I use my time. I set a limit on my phone on how much it'll cut off after a certain amount of time. Because I understand and came to realize in that moment Jesus needs to be the center of my life. And I'm not sure if he is the center of my life, if I'm spending four times the amount of time on social media that I am in his word. I wonder if there's some things in your life, some clutter that you need to clear. Maybe you'd set some limits. Maybe you'd make a commitment that I'm going to get on, before I get on a screen in the mornings, I'm going to get in a book. I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep Jesus at the center of my life. Because like Paul said, it ain't right that anything else should be central. Um, We're going to do a coffee group leaders training today. Some of you don't know what coffee groups are. We, we meet in missional communities throughout the week. We meet in homes. We share a family meal together. We study. We seek to become disciples of Jesus. And so our goal is that we would look like Jesus as a result of being in community together, doing small groups. But within those small groups, we have coffee groups. So our missional communities are like 10 to 20 people. We meet together weekly. Our coffee groups are more like two to four people. And we meet together around God's word. And in 2019, we're going to begin a new process for coming around God's Word called the CBR Journal, Community Bible Reading Journal. It's just a plan that lays out a chapter from the Old Testament and a chapter from the New Testament five days a week. And the idea is that not only would we read and study, but that we would listen to the Spirit. And then as we come together in community, that God would lead us, that we would learn both from the Spirit and from one another. Listen, we've come to the conclusion as elders that we don't think we are leading you guys faithfully and discipling you well if we don't give you a plan for how you can meet with Jesus on a daily basis. And if we don't make that a part of our structure. And so you can begin making preparations now to say, I want to meet with Jesus on a daily basis. If you're not in a missional community, join one. If you are in a missional community, talk with your missional community leader about how you can become involved in a coffee group. We're going to begin selling the CBR journals next month. You can buy one for $10. bucks. it will take you all the way through Scripture for an entire year. It's going to be a wonderful way, a plan. It's not a silver bullet, but it's a plan that we can commit to. To say, I want a desire to make Jesus central in my life and to meet with Him. Maybe you need to clear some things from your life in order to make that happen, in order to hear His voice daily, to be a person of the Word. You say, why? So that you might see Jesus more clearly. And as you behold Him, you become more like Him. And as you become more like Him, you display His character, His grace, His love. And according to this passage of Scriptures, it seems that as that takes place, the number of disciples will multiply in Memphis. I want to invite our deacons and our deaconess to come forward and to kneel here um, before their church family, just here um, in front of the communion table, if you would. And I want to invite um, our church family and our congregation to stand in acknowledging your agreement in this time of commissioning. And I'm going to ask our elders to come forward and to lay hands on these four individuals. So if you guys and Gal would, if you would just kneel here at the front. And I'm asking you to kneel because the role that you carry is the role of a servant. And... When we, What's special about laying hands on someone? You see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Is there something magical about that? I mean, we're in Memphis. You lay hands on somebody, that's not a good thing, right? (laughs) Don't go laying hands on me. That's Old Testament version. The New Testament version is that Jesus would lay hands on people in order to heal. And then we see um, a recognition in laying hands on individuals for blessing them. Blessing future ministry, praying, and also in an attempt to make what seems to be invisible. We're talking about leadership. It's not really, it's kind of invisible. An attempt to make what seems to be invisible actually visible. And so we want to lay hands um, on these individuals and we invite you guys to pray um, as we pray over them. So if you four would, if you would kneel here and face the congregation... And Jared and Chris and myself are going to lay hands on you. Jared's going to lay hands on his wife. Um, And uh, we're going to pray over the four of you. Father, it's in this moment that as we lay hands on these four individuals, God, we recognize that you call each of us to be servants. But God, in order for your church to be organized and to grow and to multiply, it seems that you would call the elders to be prudent and wise in calling some individuals to take on extra responsibility, to be deacons, to be a deaconess. Father, we pray for these individuals. God, we pray over their individual lives. God, we pray a blessing over their families. Over their future leadership. Um, God, we make no, uh, we don't come to this time with any type of rose colored glasses, believing that the leadership that you've called to them is to put them on a pedestal. God, we realize that it is a leadership that will demand responsibility. Um, God, it will demand them to stay up uh, later at night or get up earlier in the morning as they work full time jobs, other than these responsibilities. Um, God, we pray that you would give each of them wisdom in the ways in which they leave, that you would give them prudence as they are responsible for volunteers and as they help um, to alleviate uh, just the labor that is on the elder team. God, that you would help them to create unity within the church Father, that you would help them to lead wisely. Father, we pray a blessing over their future leadership. God, we pray that you would continue to raise up many, many elders and deacons and leaders from this congregation. God, we pray that Jesus would be central in all of our lives and that your church here in Memphis would multiply and grow. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. And God's congregation says, amen. I'm going to invite those who are serving communion to come and join and prepare to serve communion. And just as we prepare our hearts for communion and as we prepare um, for this time in which we remember Jesus' body broken for us, Jesus' blood poured out on our behalf we invite each of you who are followers of Jesus to come and remember and as you come to remember take a moment to evaluate your life and just ask the question is Jesus central in my life is he the central focus of my life are there changes that I need to make because as you make those changes Jesus will bring great joy into your life let me pray Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for the instruction that you give us. God thank you that you show us that you know how to lead our lives so much better than we do. God help us to trust you. God to pray for individuals right now who um, are struggling. Um, God who are struggling to find peace. God to pray for individuals who are struggling with anxiety. Father, I pray for relationships that are going to take place this next week as we face holidays. God, there'll be times of joy and there'll also, for some people, there'll be times of tears. Father, I pray that you would be near to hearts. I pray that you would bring peace. And Jesus, we pray that we would reorient our very lives and schedules around your Son. Because we know that when we get close to Jesus, we find great joy. And it's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Church, come and worship. His table's open.